My name is Gwen Cram, and I just wanted to share with you that one of the things I volunteer at um, is a place right around the corner, our neighbors, the Women's Pregnancy Care Clinic, Obria of Pasadena. And I am very happy to do what I do, really appreciate that opportunity. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalms 139, 13 through 24. So, church congregation, will you stand for the reading of God's word? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them, where I count, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. You, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Yes, if there is any offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. I am so glad to be with you here this morning because I have to confess to you, I am among, I think, half the people in the San Gabriel Valley who've been hit with this awful cold that just grabs hold of you and won't let go. Uh, and I thought about not coming, but I wanted to come for sure, partially because I wanted to be here for Katie's commissioning, partially because I wanted to hear my brother Tom sing again. Uh, I tell you. When Chris and I were just coming to visit the church, even before I was the pastor here, and we came in on a Saturday evening, Tom was the first person to welcome us and greet us. And Tom, you know I tell you all the time, God has put you deep in my heart. I just love you so much, brother, and I love to hear you sing. And I wanted to be here today because I think this is such an important day for a church like ours in our nation. Um, because first, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Second, it is Martin Luther King weekend as well. 
Now, these two commemorations, as I'm sure you know full well, have very, very different origins. But at the same time, I have this conviction that both of these two commemorations are knit together by one essential truth that is central to the entirety of the Bible, and that is the sacredness, the value of each and every human life. Uh, Sanctity of Life Weekend, you know, was first declared by President uh, Ronald Reagan back in 1984. But really, it had arisen out of the, the conviction that so many people in our country had that human life in the womb was being disregarded and discarded here in our nation. And the legacy of Dr. King, to a great extent, called for all human beings outside the womb to be respected and treated with justice. Now, now for us as Christians, uh, this idea that every human life is even sacred is rooted in the thoroughgoing teaching of Scripture, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, that we as human beings, each one of us, male and female, were created in the image of God. Moreover, um, even though I imagine that tomorrow some people will ignore this fact about Dr. King, there were two main themes that appear in every, almost every one of his speeches, sermons, or writings. And the first one is the one that most people seem to ignore now, and that is that God is, God created everything, God is still present and sovereign over everything, and God himself is the one who is the the determiner of everything that is right and wrong. And out of that, the second theme comes, that all persons, regardless of race or, or nationality or economic class or gender, have inviolable worth because every human being, as he said, and I quote him, created, loved, and sustained by the God of the Hebrew Scriptures and revealed by Jesus Christ. Now, those convictions undergird uh, his most famous speech. It's a speech that we call the I Have a Dream speech. Uh, It was delivered from the Lincoln Memorial, uh, March, no, 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 August 28th, 1963. It's called I Have a Dream, but I don't know if you realize this, He had not planned to have that section about I have a dream in that speech. Instead, when he was there, he was going to have a speech that he didn't think would touch people's emotions so much. He simply wanted it to be that kind of a message. But behind him was Mahalia Jackson. Do any of you remember her, the great gospel singer Mahalia Jackson? She had sung in the rally. She had sung in the rally, and she heard him winding down the speech. And she thought something more needed to be said, and she yelled behind him, Tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And so in his wonderful call and response style that he preached, I think, better than anyone else, he put his notes to the side and he told them about the dream. It it was this dream about what this world would be like when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness and when all human beings will see people and treat people the way that God sees people and treats people. Not not by the external things like the color of our skin, but by what we are on the inside, by the content of our character. So on this day, I tell you, we gather here to worship this God who has made us all, who loves the people that he has made, 
who is still ready to have mercy upon all who, even those who have walked away from him and has found a plan to be able to forgive people and to remake people, and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. We gather here to remember that every human being is, as David will say, fearfully and wonderfully made. We gather here as his people to commit ourselves as children of the Creator to care for every human life from beginning to end that he brings across our paths. It's just as simple as that. It's just as beautiful as that. And there's no place that talks about this dream more compellingly than, than the text that Gwen read for us, Psalm 139. If, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. We're not going to be able to look at all of it because of the time we have, but I'll tell you, at least I'm going to tell you the flow of this, the flow of this, because if you don't get the first part, you won't understand the last part. Uh, David began just where Dr. King always began, with who God is. And out of that, we begin to see how he views and treats people. So if you walk through this, it is a song. And I see here with Jeremy and Dwayne sitting right over here in the second row. It was written for the directors of music. So he intended for them to set it to music. There's one part of this song that's going to be really hard to sing. I'll just tell you. We'll get to that at some point. But here, four stanzas, just like in so many of our songs, four stanzas. Stanza number one, verses one to six. He tells us about the mystery of God knowing everything, what we call omniscience. Everything that is to be known, God knows. Stanza number two, verses 7 through 12, the mystery of God being everywhere. We, we call that omnipresence or ubiquity. What David declared is this, that there is no place in the entire unity, universe that God is not. There is no God-forsaken place in all of God's creation. And if you read through what he says, he says, even if I try to run from you, God, you're there anyway. He will be where Katie goes when she goes to South Africa. Stanza number three, verses 13 to 18. The mystery of the same God having sovereign care over each and every human life. Which brings us to stanza four, verses 19 to 24. How we as human beings respond to this kind of a God. So today we're going to start right where he starts with who God is and how he views us as human beings. And there are several things he says about the way that he sees us and everybody else who is human. And this is number one, that our maker knew us and valued us even before we were born. Look at verse 13. You created my inmost being. God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was there in that secret place. Where, where do you think that secret place was? <laughs> well, I think you know. It's such beautiful poetry. But let me say this. If there is anything in this world in which we experience something that should be called a mystery, it's in the birth of a child. Whether you've given birth to a child or simply experienced it because I'm unable to give birth to a child, 
Whenever that child is born, I just remember, Chris and I were talking about it. She said our experiences right at the birth of our children was a little bit different. But I just remember this, this, this inside of me, the adrenaline pumping. I just said, wow, this is an amazing thing. And I think about David writing this. He, he knew very little about genetics or about embryology like we talk about in 21st century medical science. He never wrote about DNA or, or about chromosomes. He'd never seen the pulsating heart of an unborn child on an ultrasound scan. And I don't know if you know this, uh, it's only been in, in recent years that men were allowed to be there when childbirth took place. Because of that, I doubt that David had ever seen a child being born personally. But I'll tell you, he knew enough about a human life to stand in awe. He was amazed about something as complex as a human life. And he was smart enough to know that that wasn't just a random thing. Now, that something as complex as a human being isn't just going to be formed in these nine months in a mother's womb. And he was perceptive to know that there is only one adequate explanation for the remarkable complexity of a human life. And that is that it is the sovereign personal work of a powerful and intelligent God you created me. That's what David says with wonder. He, he remembers that time when he himself was in the darkness of his mother's womb. And some people I know would say, David, when you were there as a fetus in your mother's womb, the big God couldn't know or care about you. And David says, you are wrong. When I was there, I was the recipient of God's knowledge of his care and of his love. He goes on. It's not just then. Our Father knows us, cares for us, and I'll, I'll put as strong a word as I could come up with, adores us right now. Amen. Look at verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then down in verse 17. How amazing are your thoughts concerning me, O Lord, the thing I want you to see in those two verses, verse 14 and 17, is that they are present tense verbs. So what it means is that God doesn't just love you when you are in the womb or even just when you are a little child and so cute. God loves you right now this morning, my brothers and sisters, as you have gathered here. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he cares for you. Now, I'm sure you've heard the old maxim, um, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I found that that's only sometimes true. Sometimes the other maxim, out of sight, out of mind, seems to be more true. <laughs> but as I thought about that, I thought what David says here is a remarkable thing about God is that you are never out of his sight. You are never out of his mind. He will never leave you or forsake you. When you're going through good times, he is there. But as Psalm 46 says, God is a refuge and strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble so that you never have to be afraid. And he's even with you when you've been walking away from him. Romans 5, 8, isn't it a great verse? While we were sinners, God loved us and Christ died for us. I want you to, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 17. I want you to notice that especially. Um, I don't know if you noticed when Gwen read it, it was a little different from my translation that we had up here. 
it's because David was writing in Hebrew, and the Hebrew could be translated into our language, into English, in two different ways. I want to show them to you so you can think about which one he meant. It could be, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. And I hope that's true of you. I hope God's thoughts are precious to you. But there's another way to translate that. It's just the way you take the, the Hebrew pronoun. It could be translated this way. How amazing are your thoughts about me, O Lord? Which one do you think that might be? I, I've come to the conclusion it's probably that second one because in the context of this, it just seems to me that what David is saying is this. Lord, in spite of all of my failings and all my weaknesses. And have you ever read the life of David? He had some failings and he had some weaknesses. Do you know that? What a mess his life was at so many times. And yet God knew all of that. In spite of all of that, Lord, how amazing are your thoughts about me. You love me anyway. It's in light of that that as I, I declare to you on the authority of God's word today, whatever has been in your life, in your thoughts, in your attitudes, or your actions, when you come into this place today, I want you to hear God saying to you, I know you, and I love you right now with an everlasting love. In fact, if I can put it as strong as I think David was trying to put it, he adores you. He wants you to come back to him. You have to picture God making you, seeing his image in you, seeing what sin does to that image and wanting you simply to turn back to him so that he can forgive you and to begin to recreate you. I read this and I, just, I think of it about how a parent thinks about our children. Uh, the, the Duranics are here. You've been here in all the service, all, all three of them. I, I just think how... Happy you must be to see Katie following the Lord in this way. When we see our children, whether they're walking with the Lord or walking away from us, we see our image in them. Sometimes I see things in them that I wish, I wish you hadn't picked that up. <laughs> but, we, but God sees this image in us and he loves us with an everlasting love. And so David, I just think, rejoices in saying, how amazing are your thoughts about me, O Lord? How vast is the sum of them? If I could even count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sands. And you've got to ask the question, why on earth would God love an imperfect person like David? Or you? And I guess I have to add myself to that list. I just fully confess to you that I cannot grasp, I cannot give you an answer about why God would love you and me. I can only tell you this. God tells us that he does. And I believe him. And I want you to believe him too. He sees his image in you and he loves you. So I tell you today unequivocally, our Heavenly Father who made this universe did not just love you when you were a child. He loves you now he cares for you. He adores you this moment. What else does David say? It's not just in the womb, not just right now, but no matter what happens to you in the future, our God will always know you, will always love you, will always be with you. Look how he puts it there in verse 14 again. All the days 
ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then at the end of this particular stanza, verse 18, when I awake, I'm still with you. Let's start with that phrase, all the days. So it just wasn't when he was a child. It wasn't just right now, but all the days. When David would get to be old and everybody else would say, now what can you accomplish? What can you do? When you get to that point that I wrestled with and I shared with you so much, when my mom went through Alzheimer's disease and so many people were saying, now what value does that human life have? God says, all the days of your life were ordained and written in my book. I know you all of your days. Your image is still there in me. David rejoicing about this is wonderful because you read about the end of his life in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2. Pretty pitiful, some of the things that you see. But in those days too, God knew him and loved him. And I want you to just chew a little bit on this one phrase. When I'm awake, I'm still with you, O oh God. What do you think he means by that? Could mean several things. Of course, the most obvious one is, you know, when I'm asleep, I know you're with me. And Lord, when I wake up, you're still with me. Day and night, no matter what, God, you're always with me. That's wonderful, isn't it? I want you to know that phrase, too, when I'm awake, is sort of a Hebrew euphemism. We're talking about when we're really in the dark, spiritually, trying to ignore that God is there at all, acting like he doesn't even exist. God is still there. And when you awake to him, you'll find that he's still there. Could it be that? Could it be, could it be that when I wake from the darkness of death, you are still with me? All right, we have too many people here to vote on this, I think. Or What do you think? Which one of those do you think he might have meant? Isn't it possible he meant all of these? I think what he is trying to declare to us in this entire psalm is that even if we try to walk away from him, even if we are unfaithful to him, even when we go through the most difficult of times, God is always there. When we turn to him, he will be present. Whenever I am awake, Lord, I am still with you. I love the fact that, that David lets us know that whatever is happening in our lives, it's not a random moment. It is a moment that God intended all the days intended for you were written in my book even before one of them came to be. Uh, some of you may know that this, this was the passage that especially Chris found to be so central in her thinking and her mind when we lost our middle child. This is the passage that we wrote on our daughter Brittany's uh, gravestone uh, because we wanted to remember that as short as her life was, less than a week, her life mattered. Because of this, she bore God's image, and every moment, every day of her life was intended by God. All right, let me quit crying for a moment. And let me just tell you this. When I read this psalm, uh, especially on the Sanctity of Life weekend and Martin Luther King weekend, so many thoughts flood through my mind about what God might be saying to us as a church family. So, so that I wouldn't speak forever, I jotted them down. Here we go. I think God's word is shouting out to me 
that every human being, every one of you when I looked at you today, each one of you is handmade by the most beautiful artists, the, the greatest designer in all of history, namely God himself. Amen. You're handmade by God. I think he did a good job. Some may, no, I won't say better than others. And what it means to us is as we leave this church, when we meet people, no matter what they are like, every one of them will be handmade by God. You were made by God in his image, and I was too. You and I and every human being you meet, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You and I are not the only ones, right? So I thought about this. Every child who rather than being able to be born is condemned unjustly to being aborted, bears the face of Jesus Christ, bears the image of God, and needs to have a voice speaking out for him or her when they are voiceless. And every mother, married or single, who carries a child bears not only in that child in her womb, but in herself, the face of Jesus. When she's struggling to, to know what to do in the time of her pregnancy, th those who see human beings with the eyes of God should never condemn or scorn or mock her, but, but offer the hope of Christ and say, if you will make the hard choice and stay with us, you won't walk alone. Offer the support of God's family that God so often makes His love known through the touch of His own people, that is us. That young unmarried women who are ashamed at times and afraid of what's going to happen, as Mary must have been, when she bore Jesus and had to run off to be with her aunt and the uncle, must have felt that shame and uncertainty when people are like that and need to know that, that they are loved. We need to go and say, God knows you and loves you. You are not forsaken by him, nor will you be by his people. And when people become old, when they become terminally ill, or mentally impaired, as happened to my mom, we've got to see that they still bear the image of Christ. I'm telling you, it changes everything about the way we view almost everyone. Human beings are not to be disregarded or discarded or ignored for any reason, not because of a disability, not because of age. All human beings are made in his image. That's why I wanted to talk to you about today. I'll tell you, it changes every moment of your life. Do you remember that one of the first series of messages I did when I came here, I called it divine appointments? That when you leave church today, every person that God brings across your path is a divine appointment because that person will bear the image of Christ because it's not by chance that God brought that person across your path. And just as God gives hope to you and me, he calls every human being into a personal and eternal relationship with him, a time in which we will be recreated and all things will be made right.
Now, I, our time is gone, but I want you to take a couple of things home. And that's where we get to verses 19 to 24, that last stanza, because David really talks about two responses to this kind of a God. And the first one is the way we view others, and I've put it, we need to act for justice, act justly toward people. That's verses 19 to 22. And the second one is about us, in which when we go out, we always walk humbly with God. I want to show it to you here. Okay, regarding others, when we go out, we're going to see a lot of things wrong in this world. We've got to act for justice. And that takes us to a couple of these verses that I hope as Gwen read them, they jumped out at you. Just after this beautiful, lovely psalm, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God, you knew me when I was in the womb. When I am awake, I still am with you. Did you notice? Then he quickly goes to say, away from me, you bloodthirsty people. God, don't I hate those who hate you. Did any of you notice that that seemed out of keeping with the rest of this? Do you notice it now? Let me tell you, there are some scholars who say, well, this is so out of keeping with the rest of it. I think the Hebrew scholars, person who was carrying that scroll must have dropped it and somehow these verses got inserted there because they just don't fit. But let me tell you, that's not true. This was always there. And it is a powerful piece of poetry because it makes you see that when you see that God is like this, He's righteous and perfect and He loves every human being, then when we see evil and injustice toward people in this world, it rightly makes us angry. When we see God being condemned, rejected, scoffed at in this world, it rightly makes us angry. God is angry about evil in this world. And whenever we see evil in this world, it is not right just to shove it under the rug and act as if it never happened. When we see people being mistreated in this world and we know what God is like and that God loves that person with an everlasting love, He calls upon us to be the voice for those who are voiceless, He calls us to use whatever resources He gives us to try to deal with the effects of sin that come into people's lives. I could talk about this so long, but today on the Sanctity of Life Sunday, I think particularly there is a call upon us in our nation and in our society, again, to realize that we have so many of our children in the womb who are being killed. I think we have to care for the moms who often struggle, and dads too often struggle with what to do. But that is why we have established this wonderful partner right around the street. Uh, Gwen is involved. Debbie Geranic, Katie's mom, is very involved. Because what we want to do is not just get up and tell people, isn't that awful what is happening out there? We've got to say that is not the way it should be, but we've got to come along and say, yes, that is not what should be happening. But if you will make the choice to give birth to your child, you will not be alone. God's people will be with you. Now, that's the kind of ministry that we want to be a part of, and that's the kind of partner that we have. And many of you are involved with people, trying to walk with them through this very confusing and difficult point, but you know that that kind of ministry is is time-intensive, isn't it? And so I am sure that we need a lot of people who say, that's on my heart. I want to be involved as well. So at the end of the service, out in the foyer area, there will be a table that is there. You can talk with people and say, how might I be involved? I can tell you, it will not be easy to walk side by side with, with, with people when they're going through this kind of a time. But I can tell you this, when you do, your own 
walk with God will be enriched and it will be deepened. It will not just be you serving that other person. You will gain so much from that other person, and it is what God would have us to do. So the first response is we become upset about the evil that is in our world and then use what resources God gives us to extend ourselves and to bring the hope of Jesus Christ into people who otherwise feel hopeless. The second part of the response is about you and me, and that is walk humbly with God. Because just after David gets to be so upset with the evil that is out there in the world, then he looks at himself again. And this is what he says. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts that I'm not really trusting you. See if there is any offensive way in me. I turn back to you. Lead me in your everlasting way. See, this is very personal. David confesses what you and I know, if we'll just be honest about it, that the evil in our world is not just out there. It's right here, right? It is not just they out in the world who have sinned. We have two. You and I need the mercy and cleansing and forgiveness of God as fully as any other human being. It really troubles me when I hear that the world as a whole looks at church people and thinks that we're self-righteous because the thing you and I know is that we are self-unrighteous. If there's anything right about us, it's only because God loves us and has shown mercy to us, right? Who are we, brothers and sisters? We are people who've acknowledged that we are mercy-needing people. We have come desperately needing God to show us His mercy and His grace, and we found it in Jesus Christ. Amen? We found it in Jesus Christ so that if we, like David, like Paul, like others, can say, mercy is available to me, it is available to you as well, that is the message that we bear to our world. It must come with humility. It must come with us gathering each Sunday and saying, Lord, I'm still not all that you would have me to be. Search me. Know my heart. See what the offensive things are in my life. Here they are, Lord. Will you give up on me or start with me again? And what does God say? If you confess your sins, I am faithful and just. I will forgive your sins. And I will cleanse you. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't you say hallelujah and thank you, Lord, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, now, now that a few of you, you're trying to get me into this call and response thing, aren't you? Now that, now that you've received that, you need to know that once you have said that, you'll almost certainly hear him say, so Go. Go knowing that my grace is sufficient for you and for others. Go. Tell people about my mercy through Jesus Christ. Tell them that they can have forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus Christ. And go and show them the love that Jesus has shown to you. So I'll put these verses back up here for you. God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully 
and wonderfully made. When you know that that is true of each one, then you believe that every human being, from womb to grave and beyond the grave, regardless of race, regardless of gender and economic class, Everyone has been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our Creator. What Jesus did on the cross can be applied to every human life. There is hope for a new life for every human being because of Him. The more you and I believe that, the more you and I will care about each person made in God's image that He brings across our paths. And the more our witness and our lives will bring glory to him. May it be. Amen. Let, let me lead us. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, this word, you know, Father, has meant so much to me personally, and I know for each one of us gathering here. Father, if there are some who have come today who have never come to know you as David knew you, to know you as Father as I know you, as my loving Father. I pray that today would be the day that people come and bring their sins to you, confessing them and bring their lives to you, trusting in Jesus, and that they awake and find that you are there. Father, I pray that this would be the day that some people here would be saved. Father, I pray for others who are here going through confusing times, wondering if you are really there, that today there would be a renewed faith in you, a time of rededication, a time of coming alive to you again. Father, I pray that this would be a time of recommitment. And Father, I pray for us who are here. Father, that we, your children, might sense the call of a passage like this, not only to know that we are made in your image, but that you send us as those who bear that truth to this world, compelled by the love of Christ. We go and tell anyone you can become a new creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, speak to us. Do your work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.